You've never been to Denobula, have you? No. The cities are quite crowded. By choice, not by necessity. The atmosphere is vibrant, communal. It sounds fascinating. What I'm saying is that we're a sociable people. Being alone on Enterprise, just the two of us, has proven more stressful than I imagined. Two people aren't even enough for a Denobulan marriage, a proper one anyway. I'm sorry I haven't been better company. That isn't what I meant. I know. It is ironic, however, that I should be your sole companion. Unlike your people, most Vulcans will go to great lengths to find solitude. At times, it has been trying for me to coexist with 80 humans, especially the more irrational ones. Such as uh, Commander Tucker. I found the last two days to be a welcome respite. I understand, but I, for one, will never complain again when I can't get a good seat on movie night. Hello, and welcome to SnapTrack, the podcast which compares two episodes of the galaxy's favourite science fiction franchise, Star Trek. I am one of your hosts, Ross Webster, and I am joined, as ever, by Jen Tift. Hello, Jen. Hi, Ross. What's up? How's it going? <laughs> going <laughs> it's going yeah how, how are you feeling you feeling okay feeling okay yeah yeah ready for getting, this you feel, feeling feeling confident feeling confident that this is going to be a snap track that you'll win <laughs> you know i i don't i'm never even aware if i win or not it's not <laughs> we, I, about that I, i've never i've never kept a tally i've never Me kept neither. a tally of who actually what who actually wins and loses i, I just, honestly go ahead it's just because these episodes are so exactly the same I can't foresee anyone <laughs> could actually win or lose. Just doesn't seem possible to me that yeah, this will happen. This one has to be a draw, right? Because it's literally the same episode. It's self-evidently <laughs> a draw. Nothing else could be could be done. <laughs> right. Very unusual. I don't think I know this game. What's it called? Chula. What are the rules? During each snap track, we compare the episodes using a variety of categories and we select a scene or line or alien or prop which we think is excellent and we award points for the answer which we think is the best. Aggressive. Adversarial. Competition. For fun. Um, usually snap track is a competition, but it won't be in this case. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's play just for fun. There are no prizes or trophies. The real aim is to have a great conversation about Star Trek and perhaps to think about the episodes in a new way. We would love to hear from you. You can get in touch with us on Twitter at SnapTrack. Please send us your ideas for episodes, comparisons, and for any categories we could use. And of course, send us your Star Trek lyrical recaps or any Star Trek poetry, haiku, limericks, rhyme, or odes, anything of that nature. We'd love to hear it. We'd love to hear it. You can get in touch with me on Twitter at strtrk1701. And Jen? And you can get in touch with me on Twitter also. I'm at edatquarks. Right. For this episode of SnapTrek, we will be placing the entire crew in stasis as we traverse some dangerous anomalies. We'll be leaving only the Doctor and an emotionally compromised science officer in charge of an entire (laughs) eerily quiet vessel and we will succumb to some horrifying hallucinations which will leave us both terrified and confused.
I could do a really long one. It's, I mean, you could keep going. This is literally the same episode. Yeah, it's the same yeah. thing. So in case people haven't realised by now, I was lucky enough to watch Voyager Series 4, Episode 25, 1. And Jen? And I was lucky enough to watch Enterprise Season 3, Episode 16, Doctor's Orders. And I did... Both of these episodes are good. But I think for the first time ever, you don't need to watch these episodes together. <laughs> it's okay. Right. You, can watch them, you can watch them far apart. And they're both just as good. <laughs> they are both literally the same episode. We, I mean, our, our, our job here is to compare episodes and find similarities. But these are literally the same episodes. <laughs> the exact same episode. <laughs> I can only think of one other set of episodes that is this similar to each other. Well, go on then. Um, uh, like Oasis and Shadow Play. Yeah, that's, so, that's down there on my list. That's that. I thought yeah. we could do that next. That'd be a nice Rene episode. And I thought, <laughs> yeah, oh, that would be good. But they're, they're two exactly the same. They are <laughs> literally the same. Yeah, yeah. And those—that's the only other pair I can think of. This pair and that one that are that are so similar that it's completely identical. Completely identical, <laughs> and which is fine. No, it, it is. It is. You know, it's, it must happen in a franchise spanning right. eight hundred episodes. Right. Some of the episodes are going to be the same, and some of the episodes are going to be exactly the same. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's and like I'll, t- I'll take I'll take a Flax version of a, of a seven episode. All right, give to it be to honest, me. <laughs> I thought this was I thought they were both done really well. They the yeah. both episodes did the same story excell- excellently. It, it was very theatrical because there was sort of yeah. that eerie quiet and just one or two people. It was great. I I definitely watched them both again. But I wouldn't watch them one after the other, which is what I right. did yesterday yes. and today. <laughs> That's a good point. This time a double feature is kind of redundant. Yeah. Watch one, then don't watch the other one for a year. Yes. So yeah. then it is a surprise. Unless you just want to see. If you want to watch them the side by side, <laughs> put one on one on each screen and just press play. But and it, it's it's funny too. I was watching Doctor's Orders and my, my husband walked in and he said is this the one where Seven's the only one awake on the ship? <laughs> and I'm yes, like, it is. yes, yes, it is. <laughs> Pretty much is. <laughs> oh man. So yeah, but they're the same. But they're still, you know, different people have different things that that they're afraid of, and we yes. explore that a little bit. You know, absolutely. And, and we- being alone means different things to these two characters. So that's interesting. An interesting difference too. Yes, I you did know? like that. I did like yeah. that. It's kind of interesting I, that they picked these two characters to do it. So I thought it was interesting that they picked. They're both non-Starfleet characters, and they're leaving them both yeah. in charge of these vessels. Um, and they're both so they're both so science-minded, but but they don't really head down to engineering very often. It's not not their thing. <laughs> they don't really get right. in control of the ship very often. Anyway, I'm sure we'll talk about lots of these things. Right. Commander, I would like to remind you about my poetry reading this afternoon. I wouldn't miss it for the world. I can't wait to see what he's come up with. As ever, we begin each episode with a lyrical recap. Jen, would you like to give your lyrical recap of Doctor's Orders? Okay, sure. 
so my lyrical recap for Doctor's Orders is kind of a stream of conscious type poem <laughs> because that's kind of what this episode was too, you know, kind of Flax's stream of conscious thoughts and feelings and things. So, all right, here we go. A welcome change at first, so freeing to be naked and alone. But the feeling ends abruptly, and you find yourself faced with an expanding nothingness that cannot be outrun. And your brain, it hears your biggest fears and manifests them, traitorous. But some peace remains an ally and sends a friend, and feeling connected gives you the strength to escape the nothingness. That was good. <laughs> that really captured like the the fear and the like the loneliness of it. That was really yeah. quite powerful. I liked it Thank a lot. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate that. That was great. Thanks. I would love to hear what uh, you came up with for one. Okay. So this this I've written. I've right. I've never heard of this before. This is called a Villanelle poem. Villanelle. Ooh, okay. It's the kind of. It's a it's a style of poem. I'd never heard of it before, but I've been reading a lot about poetry recently. I, we're quite mm. into poems. So uh, I've been reading a lot about poetry, <laughs> and I thought I'd try my hand at this. Awesome. So this this is called... It's a, it's a visual gag, but I'll read it out for you. It's called Drone, spelt D-R dot space capital zero N-E, capital O-N-E, Doctor One, Drone. Ooh. <laughs> I'm intrigued. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Voyager's hull soaked in radiation. Seven traverses nebula alone. Crew is in stasis, and then there was one. Learning the art of conversation, small talk seems pointless to their former drone. Voyager's hull soaks in radiation. Seven struggles with the isolation. Criticise the doctor's habit to moan. Crew is in stasis and then there was one. Nebula affects her augmentation. Into her nightmare seven is thrown. Voyager's hull soaks in radiation. A terrifying hallucination as the Borg fear being left on their own. Crew is in stasis and then there was one. Seven becomes Voyager's salvation despite all the horrors that she was shown. Voyager's hull soaks in radiation. Crew is in stasis, and then there was one. Wow. <laughs> that was beautiful. So that is so the style of the poem is you have to repeat certain lines. Yeah. They have to go at certain points. So the first line is also the sixth line is also the ninth line. And so you have to, like, figure it all out. Wow. And, and what was that style? Of poetry called again? A villanelle. I'm not sure if I'm villanelle. saying it right. Villanelle. It's French, so I'm probably murdering it. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. Oh, I love it. Really okay. good. Um, okay, and I enjoyed writing that as well, but it took me a yeah, while. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> I had to think of a sentence that would make sense being said several times. Yeah. It anyway, did. It, it, it had it had that you know that rhythmic you know, lyrical mm. quality to it. Um, it like I, this, I know it's not the same. Uh, it's, the, it's probably not the same style of poetry, but I, I was, I kept thinking when I was 
doing mine too, like like quote the Raven nevermore. Yes. <laughs> like like just had that same like that's we're repeating a line like you did in yours, like just has that same like feeling of dread. Well, that's you know, because it. <laughs> it just it. keeps coming and because it's just you like, it's alone relentless. with your thoughts. Yeah, and that's, you know, yeah. you keep coming back to something and you keep coming back to something, and with nothing to distract you, yeah. you just end up focusing on it. Ah, God, look at oh, us! Beautiful. We need to get our poetry MAs. We need to be. <laughs> we need to be writing our theses, <laughs> dude. Now I am the math and science one. I will not. I, no, I think I think you're branching out. I think you're branching out. I think you're seeing the next step of your skills. I'm I'm just trying to uh, tread water here with your <laughs> master class of poetry. <laughs> oh man, oh that's great. Yeah, these are these th- these both have a spooky atmosphere like mm. that. Like, but I I like that we both focused on like the uh, the internal, almost existential wow, dread of, that, <laughs> of that's being it, on your it, own, though? you know. And it's something because I got a very much. Uh, I, I watched The Shining recently. Oh yeah, and you have that sort of scary. I'm alone, but even if there's just one right. thing slightly wrong, that's all I can think. Of. That's all you're going to think about. So it was, right. had that kind of horror element to it, which I really liked. Yeah, because it's not just like like things jumping out at you, like no. scary. It's it's more like just the slow build slow, yeah yeah so. oh man all right well let's get started let's go for it <laughs> this is great okay um should we start at the beginning then and go for round one the worst roadblock mm. what is your roadblock okay so in doctor's orders uh, the crew runs into, they're on their way to Azadi Prime, mm-hmm. which is the, you know, the big goal of, you know, season three. Um, and they have ran in, they have run into a trans-dimensional disturbance, uh, which is similar to one that they ran into in uh, the episode Harbinger. Mm-hmm. But this is a baby one. So this is a newly formed trans-dimensional disturbance. They're in, they're in the expanse. Uh, it's just, just, there's all kinds of crazy space (laughs) roadblocks in the expanse here. Um, and this, this, so this trans-dimensional disturbance, uh, it's, it's reconfiguring space is what it's doing, but, um, and it would take two weeks for them to go around this disturbance, uh, which they don't want to do because they have very important you know, business yeah. on the Saudi Prime. They got business. Uh, they got some business, yeah. So they just, you know, to to go through it though um, is the reason it's dangerous for them to go through it is because the um, the disturbance it, because it disrupts the neocortex in your brain. Uh, so the way to protect the crew from that is to slow down neurological activity and that will protect their brains from, from the, the damage. Um, so they think they're going to have to spend four days in stasis to cut through this, um, this disturbance. They call it a disturbance. <laughs> it's just a blob of space where <laughs> that uh, that's being reconfigured. And, 
they they think they're going to spend four days um and they don't know what would happen to a warp field they're afraid that with, with you know the, the space pulling in on itself that that might collapse the warp field so tucker doesn't want them to mess with with using the warp drive so this is four days through it at maximum impulse power that's a really nice part so. of enterprise series three that they're not just exploring space but yeah. space itself is wrong and it's yeah. not the space yeah. we know and it's much more violent and dangerous and it just just right. being there is a problem i really like that yeah and there you know and we're new you know <laughs> to exploring mm. at this point and never seen anything like like this expanse that they're they're in in this season and and there's a lot of neat they they really play with 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 that a lot in a way in ways i like where you can really feel like they're um they're explore you know they're true explorers running mm. into just random obstacles <laughs> in, in space which isn't just a big empty nothingness <laughs> which is always interesting so so their concern is brain activities it's it's mm. a little different than which which you have um which if you'd like to talk about okay your roadblock <laughs> worst roadblock for um one voyager encounters a mutara class nebula which is absolutely enormous extending beyond the reach of voyager sensors but is at least 110 light years long it would take a month to go through directly and a year to get around. Um, there's a, The Doctor describes the fact there's a very slight radioactive field comprising of subnucleonic particles, uh, which is devastating to organic tissue and results in severe headaches and uh, horribly burning skin. And a few minutes in the nebula, without any warning, they just entered it, um, was in was enough to kill a random ensign on the bridge. Um, most crew members wouldn't be able to manage a journey through it without being in protective stasis, and so that, that's the only solution. It's either a case of go around the nebula, or or get everyone in stasis and plow on through it. Which I just thought a, a month long is that's a that's a substantial amount of nothing's going to go wrong in a month and I won't have to wake up for a month. But they go through it, they, they take a month, and as they're going through it, they realise that actually the the radiation also is impacting Voyager systems and the bioneural gel packs and is causing a, a, varied, a varied cascade of difficulties which they're having to deal with, um, which Seven and the Doctor have to deal with. But it's also altering uh seven's seren's borg called a serum <laughs> it's also altering seven's borg implants and causing thing causing amounts of neurotransmitters to change which causes her to suffer hallucinations so actually it it is de- physically detrimental to most of the crew and then it's technologically detrimental for the ship and the bioneural gel packs and it's sort of mentally detrimental to seven because it is interacting with her implants and causing her to hallucinate and struggle with things so it really is the worst of all possible things and just incredible bravery on january's janeway's part to just be like we're not going around it we haven't got the time we're going through um 
Yeah, so the worst roadblock was a Matara class nebula, which literally burns people to death. <laughs> yeah, they lost a crew member. They did. Just been in it for a few seconds, man. I know. I didn't feel like I knew him well enough to really mourn him. But no. not not a good way to but... go, to just immediately start burning and then drop to the ground. Yeah, Janeway looked really sad. <laughs> well, you know, it always looks bad, doesn't it, when... Right. On the bridge, start dying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so so yeah, I found it interesting that they knew what it was. They knew it was a Matara class mm. nebula, but they didn't know the infe- the effects it would have on the crew. <laughs> Maybe other Matara class nebulas don't do this. Yeah, because she was like, been... Quite, let's just plow on through, no problems. Yeah, yeah. So there was something different about this one, and this thing is huge. It absolutely massive. I mean, if we're judging yeah. this on size alone, oh, yeah. you know, to the Enterprise, to the NX01, four days to get through. Well, longer than four days, yeah, but, but four days initially. But this one was was there, and it was a, it, took, it would have taken a year for them to go around a whole year. That's yeah. unbelievable. Yep. And just, I mean, that's crazy. Okay, where do you think your All point's right. going to go for the worst roadblock? Okay, so points wise, um, I, I you know, transdimensional disturbance uh, in in Enterprise is, is interesting, uh, but it does seem less scary, I guess, because we had we didn't really see the effects the same way we did. We got a taste of it in Voyager, mm. and and that that was enough to to uh, to make it seem like a really horrible scary place it did seem to have more effects on on systems that wasn't really a concern here um it was more just the brain activity and it's big the one in voyager's bigger and size matters i mean look. size you know when it comes to uh... <laughs> when it comes to gal- galactic phenomena yeah space anomalies dangerous space no- anomalies yeah especially if like i mean the Enterprise was on more of a tight schedule, but the, but also the Voyager can't afford just that, to spend a year going around this. Like I that guess is that. true. The Enterprise had the the NXO one was going somewhere directly, and yeah. Voyager was was going somewhere, but not with that sense of urgency. Right. But still, a year long detour. Yeah. That that's gonna that's gonna suck. That's gonna yeah. be a nightmare. So as far as worst roadblock, uh, my point's going to Voyager. I think mine's going. To, I think the 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 burning the the, yeah. uh, the I didn't realize it was going to happen. Then Kim suddenly sort of oh got a bit of a headache coming on. Right. And then his arms start to burn. That's serious, man. And I right. I wouldn't be really really pleased if the captain if I was there and she's like we're just going to sleep through it. Don't worry. You'll wake up and this will be no problem. I would be struggling to get to sleep in that instance. Oh, I, I, I'm with Paris on this. I am terrified of that idea. Because <laughs> you always see, whenever there's stasis chambers, whenever they find stasis chambers, like not just Star Trek in, in, in any, any sci-fi, science there's always at least one person who just like, the didn't seal didn't it. work and they're dead. Yeah, <laughs> you know? Know? skeleton. Yeah. And we've got, I mean, we'll talk about this. We'll talk about the Doctor and we'll yeah. talk about... Dr. Phlox, who was caring for the crew. All right. And four days is different to a month. 
Right. But Absolutely. still, still, I'm not <laughs> loving this idea. I'm not loving the idea of going not, through the, the dangerous anomaly. I'm not loving this idea for either crew. No. It, there's just too much to go wrong. And and I know, I know that, I mean, I know a lot of these things are automated too on these ships, but I still find it really hard to believe that that nothing's going to go wrong, so wrong that you would need more than one, you know, that you would be okay having just one person. Every <laughs> week people. on Voyager, there's a new problem every week. Yeah, but yeah. Four problems just as they're going through the nebula. <laughs> seems to me. Uh, I wouldn't be doing that. Health and safety, going crazy. Right, right. Yeah, because I, I mean, even if you go down like to, like, I, I mean, your minimum crew complement is not two. guess. <laughs> like, no. Beverly Crusher knows like, that. Beverly Crusher. Yeah, right, it. right. Two people cannot run a starship. It's right. impossible. This is crazy. Yeah. And you, I mean, even if you, I mean, cancel all, you know, un, um, just all scheduled maintenance and things that aren't time critical. You know, you can cancel all that stuff and just go to the bare minimum, keeping the ship going. That's still a lot of work, I think. Yeah. On both these ships. <laughs> And this, there's just a lot of things that can go wrong. So this is a very, I'm scared of this plan for both these crews. I I think I can't see any ship's captain. I mean, Archer, I think that's justified. You know, he can justify, four days can justify it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I'm not sure James would justify it as a month. Right. <laughs> but then, you know, as you're driving yeah. around it. On the le- it's on the left for a year, and you're just like driving around a massive circle yeah. around it. Yeah, that'd be eating you yeah, up. Yeah, that outside. sucks. All right, that would suck. One has got two. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Okay. So for round two, let's go with weirdest hallucination. Okay. The weirdest hallucination in one. They. It actually, it's a very slow burn with the hallucinations. So this doesn't start until probably just over halfway through the episode, and it's just like a, an order, an auditory hallucination. She's hearing Paris, possibly, and it just builds up and builds up. And by the end of the episode, they're just on top of each other. These hallucinations. She's just moving from hallucination to hallucination, and that was done to really great effect. Um, but there's a few that really stood out. Um, I absolutely loved when the warp core turned green and borgified. Um, that was just a great sort of visual change, which I thought looked fantastic. Um, the scare, the the horrible hallucination was uh, when Seven is in engineering and she looks up to see Paris and Kim calling for help on the on the walkway and as she gets up there they both fall to the ground and their corpses just burst into flames that's a really weird hallucination and that is horribly scary but that's not the one i've picked i've picked probably the most outlandish hallucination of them all which is tragus low tarek the the traveler they meet coming in the other direction <laughs> which i I almost could have guaranteed they're going to meet someone coming in the other direction because if you have a gigantic nebula that takes a year to go around, people are going to be trying to get through it. That That's something it's going to be. Trajus Lotaric, he has 
he has a soft reptilian quality to his voice that instantly puts you on edge. He is immune to the effects of the radiation, so he says, and he wants to be the first to get through the nebula, the first of his people to get through the nebula. This is apparently his sixth attempt. He's never heard of the Borg, and yet almost instantly he's got an opinion on the Borg, and you realise something is very much up. But you don't know he's a hallucination yet, you just know he's not a very nice person. And he ramps up the unpleasantness very quickly with Seven, to the point where within a few minutes she's drawn a phaser on him and asked him to leave. And then as she's distracted by some cries, he vanishes. So at this point, you don't know this is a hallucination. You just think this is some horribly creepy person who's run off on Voyager. The Doctor can't find any evidence of Trajus Lotaric. Perhaps he's cloaked. There's no ship outside. But then, you know, we know there's technology which can hide hide ships. But as the, as the, the horror builds... And we realise that there's lots of different things competing for Seven's interest and she is terrified and she is having a horrible time. She doesn't like being alone. We realise that perhaps this person is maybe a hallucination, but we don't know that for absolutely sure. They're having this sort of weird game of cat and mouse. Eventually, she corners him in engineering with a phase pit with a phaser rifle and she's about to shoot him and then the doctor enters and then it sort of cuts who you're talking to and then it is he's definitely a hallucination everything that he's done we presume hasn't really happened it's all been a figment of seven's massively overactive imagination because he's imagined a whole lot of stuff with this guy his species his name how he looks what he's trying to do his personal backstory but it's presumably all fake, all not real. It's a pretty detailed hallucination. <laughs> it's extreme. And so part of me wonders whether it began not as a hallucination and then became one halfway through. Maybe she did meet someone and then they traded just as they were going to do and then he left. But it's all gotten confused in line with all the other hallucinations. But I think probably it probably was just a a one long creeping horrid hallucination and it was great it was great it was really creepy he was horrible yeah he was horrible and then it just that that she turns and then looks back and he's gone i mean that's serial killer that's like slasher film <laughs> um but i mean she's she's fairly unflappable seven on the usually but here you could see that the tension had like wrapped up in her face. It was a this was a much scarier thing that she was not used to dealing with. Um, so for my weirdest hallucination, it goes to the entire the entire presentation of Tragis Lotaric, who is absolutely awful. Yeah, and he was the one too who was getting deeper into her psyche of, you know, see you can't be a regular human because you can't even handle being alone you know, yeah yeah when you spend some time with me it'll work yeah. in, ugh, he was Ugh-y. so sticky. it was gross he was gross and awful yeah that's a good pick who did you have for weirdest hallucination okay so doctor's orders did the same thing that one did with the slow burn 
you know, for first you get you get the, the great uh, scenes of, of uh, Flax kind of enjoying his solitude. Um, I mentioned him walking around naked. That is <laughs> so funny. They had like a whole sketch where he's walking along <laughs> and he puts like, a plant in front. There's a plant in front of him. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> could have been ten, they could have been ten minutes of that. I didn't watch that. But- <laughs> hilarious same here that's really funny uh and he did you know he did some funny things he 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 watched a movie you know had some popcorn and he and he was jogging through the halls and singing denobulin songs it's it's fun to hear denobulin uh which is fun and he uh he goes he goes to the fridge and he eats a leech (laughs) it's kind of funny because just just like you would pop like any kind of snack food in your mouth you know and he gives one to porthos (laughs) (laughs) so he was having a grand old time so then then you know and then suddenly you know the the novelty of being alone kind of wore off and and, you know, obviously he starts hallucinating uh, to Paul, which we're not supposed to know is a hallucination at the time. Um, and but that's the only one who that's the only one of his hallucinations that's not uh, creepy or weird or scary, uh, because then he starts seeing some shadowy figures. You know, uh, he, he he sees someone um, in engineering and. And uh, he he accuses to Paul of of um, running around like a Drexen cloud viper, which <laughs> is such a great uh, flax, you know, alien. And he's so animal. angry as well. He's so yeah. Cool. He didn't get that angry about things, right? And and he sees someone, um, you know, a shadowy figure crawling around on the hull, you know, like a nightmare at you know twenty thousand feet kind of moment and and he's any any he, he, um and he sees the zindi insectoids uh which are really scary and creepy uh but for weirdest hallucination i picked his hallucination of hoshi coming out of the shower oh my god that is the which, that is weird it's weird because it's just weird to begin with but it's also weird because they're in a in a like a brain disruption anomaly not like a facial disfigurement mm. melty face kind of that's where i am that's where my yeah are. right <laughs> i think they were watching too much one when they wrote the script <laughs> <laughs> but uh but hoshi gets out of the sh- you know he hallucinates hoshi in the shower and she comes out and she's got this disfigured weird like uh, i don't know it's not like her face is melting it's more like weird calluses and things and her eyes are that milky white eye and, and she looks really gross and, uh, but flax does mention that um he says something like like oh i should have not i shouldn't have <laughs> let tucker uh talk me into watching the exorcist last week you know because he was getting scared that and was funny i like that, that yeah that so that that, that kind of looked maybe a little bit exorcist um uh, inspired maybe <laughs> so maybe that's part of where that came from uh, the you know the weird way she looked and and talked and everything, but um, but yeah, I thought that was really weird and creepy, and it was kind of it was effective too because you weren't expecting that. Yeah, there wasn't anything like that. That up that, to that point in the that episode, full so. horror film moment that bit. Yeah, yeah, it was really really scary. It was. And I, and she she looked really weird. Yeah, she. I mean, it's proper zombie, isn't it? Yeah. Like the the flesh away and the white eyes, right, and right? Yeah, that she's calling out his name and sort of lurching towards him. That was horrible. 
And it's uh, horrible too. She says, you did this to us. Yes. You know, something like that. And that, that adds to it. You know, that adds to the creepy scariness. Too. Well, that's, that's both. Especially for a doctor. Yeah. But both Seven and Phlox are dealing with the idea of this massive weight of responsibility. Right. Right. That, which, which it is. <laughs> it's almost absolutely huge. And I think Fox is probably more used to dealing with the responsibility, but right. not not that not that much responsibility. Um, yeah. And I, the hallucination of Topol, I thought was brilliantly well done because yeah. they really keep that the way that she acts in such a way that she every time he needs her to do something, she gives an excuse why she can't do it, and he ends up doing yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really well played out. It's like a sixth sense reveal at the that, end. That's what I thought too. Of yeah, because yeah, she doesn't eat when they have dinner together. It she doesn't interact really with anything obvious. besides him. But that yeah. could, could be something that she does. You know, she's just sat there not eating. She doesn't pick up the cup. Right. Everything that happens, everything that's done, is done by him. Right. She is just there. Really, yeah, carefully. and I love at the end her excuse for not helping in engineering is, but you know she's being affected too by the disturbance, and yeah. and she's like basically, oh, me forget engineer, yeah. <laughs> and really, and and Jolene Baylock does such a great job of acting in that scene, the playing dumb with just like her looks, like just like weird looks, like uh, what. <laughs> <You> <laughs> Like, they, you know, like, you know, whatever she has to do, like, like plasma relays. What? <laughs> and she just looks at him and just the gestures come over and then points yeah, at it. Yeah. That, was, that was really well done. It she was. Is, she does. She's so good. She is a, uh, she is really good in this episode. She's, she is. She's so talented and she's so underrated. She never gets the credit she deserves. I, I think if she was, she was more part of like, Maybe if she's on Twitter or if she was going to conventions and stuff, we'd be talking about her a lot more because she's great in this. She's so great. And yeah, and, really the, and in this episode, she, yeah, and in this episode, I mean, with that that end scene, because she makes it, because it seems like unbelievable that she wouldn't be the one in control in engineering, but the way she plays it, yeah. as if like like she's just like got, you know, dumb juice. <laughs> and the ne- from the nebula and and she just oh she, she's just so funny without i can't even like point to like there's no lines or anything it's all just her facial expressions uh that she does it with too she's yeah. so good she's it's so a weird funny. mashup isn't it of like of yeah. horror and chill chills with yeah. some really weird body comedy like yes. the nudity <laughs> and the gesture the stupid faces it's such right. a weird mashup, but it does work. It is. It works. Oh, that's um, really funny. Okay. Where are okay. we scoring points. our points? Mm, Go ahead. I I do like Trajus Lotaric, and I feel like I gave him as much as I could give him by choosing every moment he appeared on screen. You did. Uh, <laughs> but but it's not that was almost normal. The reason the reason it works was it's quite a normal thing. Somebody is coming the other way. We've met them. They're creepy. They're a bit weird. They may be lying. Nothing is as weird as a zombified Hoshi coming out of the shower and lurching <laughs> towards lurching towards Flux. That's really weird. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I think my point has to go to that. Yeah, my point's going to Hoshi uh, also because, um, yeah, I mean... 
Seven, I, 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 that character that Seven hallucinated was very useful for her to kind of talk outside of herself about what she's feeling. And, and, and it, I guess, it, I guess you could say it was more important of a hallucination to the plot <laughs> than yeah. the Hoshi one, but the Hoshi one was definitely weirder for going with weirdest hallucination yes. and, and creepy. And it really added a touch a fun touch of horror to the, to the episode. Yes. Um, and it really yeah. is like, it's next level that bit. That's, it yeah. takes it from creepy to horrifying. Right. And it's so, good. Yeah, it's done really well. My point's going there, too. Okay. We're tied up. Well, <laughs> as we're talking about creepy and scary, maybe we should go for the scariest moment. Okay. All right. Okay. So uh, I talked about, we talked a lot about Hoshi. Obviously, that was scary and un- unexpected, you know? Yes. When she came out of the shower, I, I didn't expect her to be a a scary zombie when she got out of the shower and neither did Flox and, and he did a good job. You know, he, 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 uh, John Billingsley also did a wonderful job uh, reacting in this episode uh, to everything. Um, when you, you watch episodes of Enterprise that this good, it makes you realize how undervalued the entire series is really. Yes. Because yeah, even an episode like this, that's not, not going to be on anyone's, you know, top 10 list. It's, it's just, it's still so well acted, so well put together. Yeah. And, oh, I love Enterprise. Um, okay, so I talked about her. Um, and we, I mentioned the Zindi insectoids, mm. um, but it, we didn't talk about that yet. And that was scary. That was legit scary, too. That also involved Hoshi. Yes. Um, See, so he here's the insect noises, and he goes and, and, and finds the, he finds the insect, you know, like six foot tall yeah, <laughs> creepy massive insect well, massive cgi insectoid um over hoshi and you know he says you know get away from her you know whatever he says and and then the insect lunges at him and starts chasing him and he runs and he does such a good job again of, of like running in a t- terrified manner you know? again isn't it when you running and you follow someone down a corridor that's yeah. a horror film that's a horror yeah. film technique, isn't it? Yeah. You can't yeah. see behind them, but they're running away and looking behind them at the camera. Mm-hmm. And he hallucinates another insectoid coming from the opposite direction. Yeah. He has nowhere else to go and he goes into the airlock. Which he I locks don't... himself in the airlock, which is, I mean, you're horror scared point. if that's what, yeah. If, if that's like your last resort is the airlock. And and that was scary. And, and you could feel him, like I feel it with him, like how, when he was waiting for the, for the light to turn green so he could go in and then for the door to close all the way so the insectoid didn't get him. <laughs> but so scary to think that he's I'm in so like scary a to think. mentally compromised situation and he's yeah. put himself in an airlock. Right. That's right. Yeah. Petrifying. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's, it's the whole thing's scary. And, um, uh, but that's not my scariest moment. Mm. Oh, God. So, all right then. So what I picked for scariest moment, and this is going to sound tongue in cheek, but it's not. I legitimately mean this, that this was the scariest moment for me when he almost shoots Porthos. <gasps> and yes. that that legitimately was terrifying because, you know, at this point he's having hallucinations. He's unhinged. He's now armed. He has a gun. And someone in that mental state should not have a gun. No. <laughs> And he's going, he's, he's, he's decided he's going to go de- deck by deck searching for these insectoids because he has not accepted the fact that he's hallucinating yet. 
Um, so he's going deck by deck, searching for life signs. And his brain, in the form of T'Pol, is trying to help him out. You know, his, yeah. his brain being like, you know... The logical side, yeah. The logical, yeah. She's like, there's going to be life signs there. You know, everyone's in their quarters. Um, he's like, they're not human life signs. And his brain, in the form of T'Pol, is like, well, your pet's in... And sick bay aren't human and they're going to be picked up and be careful and, you know, all this stuff. And, and he doesn't listen and he hears a noise, you know, cause he's so skittish and armed and in such a state and he hears a noise and he just shoots and misses Porthos by, you know, an inch. And yeah. that's terrifying because you know that Porthos like is not a hallucination. As far as we know, Porthos is not a hallucination. No, and he and, barely he barely recognizes this, does he? He, he he's yeah. more concerned that he missed. Like, oh, I'm not a very good shot. <laughs> like, and that, I mean, that I, I gasped. Like, oh, look how close he got to Porthos. That's just not. That's not okay. Because because I was just like like oh, phew, you know, he missed Porthos. But think about like how close he came to killing the captain's dog. I know. Can you imagine explaining like, that when everyone wakes up? Right. Like, okay, we got the ship through, but bad news. I've phasered your dog. Yeah, yeah exactly. What? Like, uh, there's been a bit of an event. I <laughs> killed the dog. Let me get put off the ship for that, wouldn't he? Put off. And this, oh, and this is why. I mean, I don't want to get started on on guns and everything, which I hate. I hate guns, but. Also, I, I mean, this is an example why you can't just give anyone a gun to have whenever, like, like there yeah. should be in in the armor armory there should be a like some kind of like fail safe, like because obviously his like I don't know adrenaline levels or whatever you would check yeah. <laughs> might be too high for him to have a gun right now, but um, I it, guess you can't do that when on a ship when you need you might need it. Even when you're in, yeah, that state. in, a, in a strange state, but no, yeah. that that is a scary that, moment. Yeah, that legitimately scary. I mean, what almost happened? I love my Porthos. <laughs> oh, poor Porthos! Can you imagine if anything had happened to that dog? Oh, oh I would not have been okay no. with that. No, yes, and and Porthos is just so cute during this whole episode. He, there's a, the cold open in this episode is really great. It's just uh. It, Flocks chasing Porthos down the hallways, which yeah. is sweet. And, and he, of course, he's just trying to get to to Archer. <laughs> to <laughs> <his face. laughs> but yeah, so for me, that was legitimately the scariest moment. Not just because I love Porthos, but just because he's so he's unhinged to the point where he almost uh, like there's almost real consequences to his hallucinations. Do you know what I mean? Like that makes it scarier. There's re- almost real, real world consequences instead of yeah. just like, like, oh, oh, jump out, scary. You know, this is scary. And you know what I mean? Like there being some real world consequences that, that could have happened here is what elevates this to scariest moment for me. No, I see exactly what you mean. <laughs> yeah, he really does. It's not just about the hallucinations he's having and putting himself in trouble. He does put the other entire other ship in in trouble. And going into Hoshi's room with a phaser and right. seeing a, a giant insect there. And then <laughs> he dropped the phaser there. And I thought, I wonder what Hoshi thinks when she wakes up and she finds a <laughs> phaser in her room. Maybe he picked that up when he was waking her up. But it, it's so worrying to think that, 
you're unconscious and a crazed man with a gun comes into your room right. while you're sleeping. Yeah. And he and he, and he's still in such a state, like even after he almost shoots Porthos, he's he's like, This thing should be able to tell the difference between a giant insect and a beagle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is a funny line, but yeah. also it's like, dude, you are not in a state you are not, a you, you are not thinking with your right mind. <laughs> so okay. what about for one? So this, there's a couple of quite scary moments in uh, one. I do think their use of Tom Paris's cries intermittently yeah. throughout the... Because there's one scene where, and this is legitimate, where he gets out of his of his stasis chamber, he just starts wandering around, sort of unsure of what's going on, and they have to put him back in. But then intermittently throughout the episode, you'll hear his cries again, oh, help me, what's going on? Oh, I'm lost. Yeah. And that is quite sort of, that's nerve-wracking, but not scary. Uh, also, the other thing that I found quite nervy was hearing the computer slurring and stuttering, mm-hmm. because it's usually so stable. And often when the computer is going wrong, it's because they're having a computer problem. But here, this was just another aspect of control and reality just merging and melting away. (laughs) And it was really, every time you're asking the computer to do something and it goes, (laughs) so that is not good. Here's another problem to layer on your pile of problems. Um, (laughs) One the one thing I liked that actually made me jump a little bit was when uh, the doctor is running to engineering, and he says to Seven, "I'm about to enter engineering," uh, and then the door opens, but uh, Trajus comes in instead, and they've, they've confused you with the cut. Yeah. And I thought that was quite yeah. clever um, because was I was good. like, "Oh, I wasn't expecting that," which is a bit of a jump. But the actual scariest moment I've picked is I thought it was I thought it was pretty pretty horrifying for Seven. But as she's running down a green esque green borg esque corridor, she is haunted by a drone which keeps cutting her off no matter which direction she goes in. Mm-hmm. And it's essentially just repeating her fears that she has sort of repressed for a portion of the episode, then accepted towards the end that she's no longer a Borg, she is alone, she's now becoming a human and that's making her weak. She's going to die alone and she's going to let everyone else die as well. And it's just essentially just repeating it at her, shouting at her, and she's running away from this absolutely horrifying Borg drone. And it's a really well-done drone as well. Yeah, looks uh, really stand out. But it just... She she runs from it, and she turns a corner, and there it is again. And she runs again, turns a corner, and there it is again. And there's just no escaping this Borg because this is, you know, her own psyche expressing her deep seated fears directly to her. So really, oh, really, terrifying. yeah, really, really <laughs> horrifying. Really well done, yeah. and um, just classic no escape psychological horror. There, everywhere you turn shouting the things you're terrified at you not leaving you alone yes the uh, haunting borg wow that's a good pick <laughs> yeah because that's that's scary like physically scary and mentally um 
invasive yeah. <laughs> i guess is the word and it ties it ties both of them together so yeah yeah both she's getting more and more scared as the episode goes on and what's just like a little you know tension in the air or a chill in the air is becoming it's become real and now she's actually literally running from it and i like too that they had a borg drone being the one to deliver that to her yes instead of like instead of like jane way exactly they didn't have they could have used jane way yeah and they used it later on for other things they're like a horrifying burnt version of jane way yeah yeah but they didn't they but use the drone. I really like that. Use the drone. I like that too. Because here, I mean, it's it's a reminder of what she was and what she can't be again. She's not going to be a drone anymore, but she's also now saying, you know, explaining here how her fear is she also won't ever be fully human either. So she's just stuck in the middle alone. And that's terrifying. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, gee, I don't know what to do about my point. I picked a good one. <laughs> well, you've you've picked a dog, and I feel like the dog's always gonna the dog's always gonna pip a point, isn't it? I can I can forth us not get a point, right? Exactly. <laughs> uh, oh man, I do. Uh, I think the, the the haunting Borg is scary, so I think I am going to go for the haunting Borg. Um, but I do I did like your pick. Okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna go for the Enterprise here, and and it's uh, I'm, I'm kind of cheating a little bit I think because like the Porthos I mean I was I was legit scared for Porthos, mm. but also I find the corridors of the NXO one way scarier than oh, I do yeah. Voyager. Oh yeah, they're, they're dark. They're submarine esque. Yes, yes, and um and I have some experience in my job uh being in in industrial spaces like that where you're the only person around and it's scary. And you do sometimes, you know, see shadows or, you know what I mean? In your head and, or like hear a noise and like, Oh my gosh, what's that? No one else is down here, but me. And, and, and I know what that feels like. And, and yeah, so it's just way scarier in general um, of a, of a ship. No, absolutely. But, um, so I think I'm going to go with enterprise. Okay. <laughs> no surprise then after round three, we're, we're tied. <laughs> I mean, literally, exactly. (laughs) The same episode. (laughs) All right. Okay. So let's move on then to category four. Let's go with. Okay. Well, let's talk. We talked about our hallucinations and scary moments and everything. Let's talk about our characters here a little bit more. Let's talk about our. Our nervous Nellies and our brave Bettys. <laughs> okay, nervous Nelly, brave Betty. Um, so my the the choice here is you could talk about the Doctor being scared because at some point the Doctor puts on a brave face and is threatened with extinction, but this is right. not his episode. <laughs> this is Seven's episode. Uh, at one point, the Doctor says to Seven. Seven, are you frightened? And she looks for a minute like she's about to say, I am frightened. Yeah. But she says, I am Borg. But that's mm. just asking the problem. As the as the as the episode goes on, she gets more and more scared by the things that are happening to her and the things she cannot control because she's really effective at dealing with 
mechanical problems, breakdowns, you know, problem solving in that area. But what she can't deal with is the things that have been boiling up inside her, which she is able to ignore through her routine. But now she can't ignore because she is all by herself. Um, we learned that when she was part of the collective and her, her neural connection was briefly severed from the collective, and she said she experienced panic and apprehension, and she confesses these human frailties finally to the doctor. Right. Because she is, it's just overwhelming her now at this point. And just as she does that, her his program goes offline and Seven is left totally alone. She's in engineering in front of the warp core. And she has a proper horror film scream and sort of like terrified look at the camera. But even though she's at her lowest and is all alone and the things that scare her the most have been played out before her and are happening right now, she is alone, she has a massive responsibility and she is terrified. She still goes on to save the ship. She faces each of her hallucinations one by one and she either ignores them, talks around them or just or does what she does best, which is focus on her task. She knows what she needs to do. She knows how to problem solve. She just has to accept that she has to problem solve by herself. And the weight of responsibility for these other people does lie on her, but she can do it. And she makes the decision to direct all the energies to the... She directs all life support energy to the stasis pods, keeping, you know, so her life support effectively runs out. She turns everything around. She she makes all the right decisions. She does everything she can do. She does it. And she gets, she gets them through. And the countdown... You know, you see they're there for a month, but the countdown goes from a month to six days to several hours to minutes. And it's in those final minutes that she is breaking apart and the ship is breaking apart through the onslaught of all the radiation. But she pulls it all together at the last minute. She faces her fears and she gets through and she virtually sacrifices herself because potentially should have been she could have passed away while, you know, the crew were getting out of stasis when there's no life support. Uh, So my nervous Nelly slash brave Betty is seven. She did it. She, she did it. (laughs) She did do it. And yeah. And, and even like the hallucinations she's having right before she made that decision, you know, and, and the crew members and Tom Paris, he's like, I knew she wouldn't, I knew she didn't care about us and all this stuff. And, and you could see her, you know, working through all this, all this stuff. <laughs> yeah, but this is what she thinks the crew think about her because yeah. she's part yeah. of the crew. And Chakotay makes that really clear early on. Right. You are about to leave our starship in the hands of a person we didn't even know six months ago. Right. Who butts head with you at every turn and is essentially a Borg drone. <laughs> It, and it was, Janeway believes in her she so does, much. She does. <laughs> it even mentions, you know, the special relationship they have. Yeah, yeah. And she does believe in her, and it does yeah. come through. And it was, yeah, and it was well placed. The you know? yeah, the belief in her was well placed. The decision right. to go through the nebula. No. Same. I feel the same way. Yeah, yeah. And she did it. And and it's it's it was interesting to see at first. She she did the Borg thing. Which is okay. We sacrifice these ten pods. Yeah, you know, 
for the whole collective. And then she, you know, struggled through and thought about it and, and chose the, the selfless, but also being part of a collective alternative, you know? Yeah. And then a collective, being part of a collective in a different way, which is you sacrificing yourself for the greater, you know, good of your group. And, oh man, that was good. That was a lot of growth for seven, even though this too, this isn't an episode that's like, Important, like quote unquote important character, you know, or in anyone's top ten, but but it really is a big moment of character growth for for seven. It really is, and I think maybe if it had been more, because everything she, everyone she converses with, apart from the Doctor, is a hallucination. <laughs> right. Maybe maybe that's why we don't see it as such massive growth because it's all done inside her own head yeah. rather than with the other characters. They don't experience that growth in her. Um, dude work through it it's like it's like in lower decks <laughs> mariner's like therapy works guys <laughs> it was her working through it <laughs> um all right but yeah yeah good great pick who do you have for nervous nelly slash brave betty okay so i have a runner up mm-hmm. and because i did an ep- enterprise episode so i had to talk about trip <laughs> <laughs> not talking about trip okay uh but but he gets my runner because he's he's really he's really funny at the beginning when because he's he seems like the only one who understands what an undertaking this is to leave one person in charge of of (laughs) running the ship (laughs) on their own like this is crazy yeah he's like he's getting really nervous he says make sure you know check this every two hours if you know the he's worried about the impulse manifolds getting clogged uh you know to overload that that would overload the engines and everything he's, he's like every two hours and he's getting so nervous about it um but he's brave he's brave too you know the way trip always is he's like he's like wake me up <laughs> if you need someone to save the ship i don't care that i'll basically be sacrificing myself wake me up and i will you know I will do whatever needs to be done. Um, you know what I mean? If it's something outside of, you know, I, I mean, a doctor isn't, <laughs> Flox is an expert in a great many things, um, but not in, you know. Engineering or shooting. Engineering or, yeah, or, or, or shooting, exactly. So, uh, so yeah, so, but Trip's, and, you know, Trip meant it, you know, he's like, wake me up. And that, and that comes into play later when, um, you know, Fox and Fox is obviously my nervous Nelly slash brave Betty because he he uh, refuses to wake Trip up. You know, he he wants to he everything he's doing is basically to save the whole ship, but mm-hmm. also also honestly to save Trip because he could he does have a, he does have an exit hatch. He could wake up Trip and Trip could could fix whatever's wrong with the warp engine. You know, <laughs> um, but he doesn't take it. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't know how they could rely on a doctor to make that decision anyway. We're right, going to right. wake up someone so they'll die, right? Exactly. Have to work this machine. Yes, and and I mean, and so moving on to Flux here. I, I mean, yeah, he's a doctor. He's not going to want to make that decision. And his, uh, you know, his hallucination of T'Pol is is saying like. Well, you can either wake up trip or the whole shit, you know, we can all die. You know? yeah. <laughs> and, um, and then all the people, you know, that we're trying to save, like, you know, going to Azadi prime, you know, and it's just, you know, so yeah, there's cost benefit analysis to, to every, every, um, 
every solution here. There's no good solution. Um, but yeah, so we, you know, and we talked about all the uh, hallucinations he's, he's had and, and um, he, and he has a really good, he's, he's, he's acting when he um, finally has his, his, I would call like his, his nervous breakdown of like realizing he needs help is when he, um, he has a hallucination of Archer um and archer doesn't seem concerned about insectoids being <laughs> on the on the nxo one and he's like oh you're not you know you're not real and, and he, he kind of like oh I, I need help and that's when he finally you know runs this runs this scan on himself and says oh this 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 um you know this anomaly is is obviously infecting my brain too and i need to be aware of that fact and and he and then from then on he does a really good job of separating besides to Paul, obviously separating his hallucinations from what's real to do what he needs to do to, to save the day. He and, does do really well. Yeah. He does get increasingly stressed though. Uh, the, the bit where yeah. they're in engineering and he's trying to figure out what to do, which buttons to press. And he's literally looking at the manual. Right. Yeah, we'll talk about manual. that. <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was. Yeah. Yep. Okay. All right. So points. Nervous Nelly, Brave Betty. I think they both, they were both so similar in this. <laughs> and they both presented. Same episode. Yeah. In a very, in a very same way. I don't, I don't think, I'm not sure I can give out a point to one and not give a point to the other. <laughs> well, well to, to me here, I'm, going to i would give my point here to seven because i think that was much more of a character development issue for her whereas flox did what we would know no flox would do you but know she was um, yeah because like like flox i mean we know flox doesn't like being alone he we know a lot about the denobulans and we know even in their marriage you know they, they like having a group Yes, <laughs> around yeah, yeah, them um you know just similar to seven you know with the borg and the collective um but but flux also it, it's it, he's he wants to go be with the nobulans again and, and be around that but he's also fine mm. you know what i mean versus yeah. like seven this is a really big step for seven um and i think i just think that the, the curve for seven is steeper so she should get a little bit more credit. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> no, I do know what you mean. I think you've convinced me. Yeah. I, because she is, he's facing the fears of anyone who would be in that situation. Right. But she's right. facing an existential crisis, which she's been <laughs> yes. dealing with for a few months, exactly. but this has brought it to a head. Yeah. And she powers through admirably. She does. Yeah. Okay, then. You've convinced me. <laughs> I'm going to give my point to seven. Same here. All right, so one pulled into the lead. It did. So one has five points, and Doctor's Orders has three points. Okay. Going okay. into the final round. What's our final round? Final round, possibly deciding round, <laughs> is I'm a doctor, not a... Dot, dot, dot. <laughs> what do you have for your I'm a doctor moment? Okay. Uh, I'm a doctor, not an engineer. 
And actually, Flax says, Flax actually says the line. He says, I'm a physician, not an engineer. That's what he nice. says. <laughs> it's, one of, it's one of his only, I'm a doctor, not a whatever. <laughs> um, but yeah, so he does a pretty impressive feat of engineering here. Um, <laughs> so the, what happens with the, the anomaly here is, is actually pretty interesting because they, they figure out that the, uh, they think they're in the clear. They think it's like, oh, another hour and we'll be out a day. <laughs> but Flox and his hallucination. Flox <laughs> thinks that uh, another hour or so and they'll be out. But then they, you know, look at the sensors. They, they do the sensor readings and see how there's a lot more anomaly left and what they figure out is that the reconfigured space is expanding at a rate a higher rate than it was when they started out um so now it's going to be like 10 weeks on impulse that they'd have to be in in stasis 10 um, weeks ten felt weeks. That way, so 10 weeks yeah. Ooh, 10 weeks yeah. so and i mean they just and who knows then too if it's ex- if it keeps ex- if the rate of expansion keeps increasing you just don't you know you just don't know you could you could never leave you know <laughs> you can crawl along an impulse power and it could just keep getting farther and farther ahead of you um, not make any headway and and they had to get they you know they have to get to to Azadi Prime and so they have to go to warp and even though you know Trip was worried that you know that the warp field might collapse. Um, you know, or, or who knows what would happen with the warp field, you know, in in, in reconfigured space. So <laughs> somehow Flox manages to uh <laughs> to pull this off. He, like you mentioned earlier, he reads the manual. He literally oh, reads the manual. There must be a manual. Well, I mean, yeah, that makes sense. It makes sense for them to have procedures. Uh-huh um to to do this thing and you would think a lot of it might be as automated as it possibly can um i i've never initiated a a warp uh core (laughs) i've never initiated a warp field before but i have um in a simulator uh initiated a nuclear reactor Um, oh my goodness and it's actually pretty similar they actually one of the reasons i like this episode is they really did a good job of 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 you know, the things that he needed to do to stabilize the warp field and the way he, he went about it is actually, was actually pretty, pretty, pretty good <laughs> for what it was. It's still, I mean, you can't do it by yourself, you know? <laughs> but okay. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so he, he reads the manual and that's fine. And there's procedures. Um, and he, you know, he has to, and it's funny, he gives to Paul jobs, and this is what we were talking about earlier, how he gives to Paul jobs, and she, she's just like, the <laughs> what's the you know, what's the what's the relay? And <laughs> does a really good job with that. So he does everything in his own. He has to close the plasma relays and and uh bring the antimatter constrictor coils online and all that stuff and <laughs> whatever, you know. And but then he does and then he does some advanced engineering here too, when um he they, they he starts initiating it and does these things and brings it up and then something's going wrong and you know the lights start flashing, the beeps happen and and he figures out somehow he was able to troubleshoot and figure out that he needs to increase the particle confinement, which, um, which knowing that is probably something you would need some experience with. 
Um, you know, but but hey, he's a smart guy. Flox is a smart guy. He holds what she says something like six degrees or something like that. None none in uh, work. How do you know where the buttons to do that are? <laughs> right. How do you know that that's something you need to do and know which buttons to push? Yeah. But but okay. Uh, you know whatever. Uh, so <laughs> somehow he he figures it out. Increases that particle confinement. Um, <laughs> he gets a stable field, a stable warp field, and he manages to take the ship to warp two. Um, and they they give a and then another little thing happens, and and you know they're um, because they're in such a weird area of space, and <laughs> but like luckily Reed had showed him how to transfer power to the whole plating, so uh, that was the final thing he needed to do to get everything stable. And he did it. <laughs> Unbelievably, he did it. Unbelievably, he did it. <laughs> I, I cannot. In, in that position, I think I'd have just, I, I'd have given up. I mean, the I idea mean, of essentially, I'm about to turn on essentially an explosion inside a starship and hope it moves me forward. Right. <laughs> I, I don't know how he managed it. It, it was really well done because it was genuinely. This could all work terribly and probably should not work. It was tense. There were tense moments. Yes. His hallucinated trip is like, you could collapse the warp field and crush the ship and <laughs> kill us all. And, <laughs> and just, to, you know, to think about, it's not an explosion, but an implosion. You're going to yes. crush the ship. Like, wow. Crush what a way the to ship. Go. Yes. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting. It's high stakes. Yeah, Exactly. <laughs> But oh my god, he was absolutely pressing all the way through that. I should have picked this for scariest moments instead of the Porthos thing. <laughs> Porthos would have been crushed too. It was, it was scary though, wasn't it? But yeah, it was. But they did. They, I mean, they made it seem like there was an. I mean, you knew he was going to do it. You knew he wasn't going to crush the ship. Mm-hmm. But they, I think there was still enough suspense because it was someone who was alone at that point, even, you know, to Paul was useless and he was alone and, and doing this hard thing. And he had to, there was a lot of, it was fun too. Cause he had to push buttons. He had to go over to a different monitor. He had to like raise the yeah. levers. You know what I mean? So there was a lot of interesting, yeah, fun, tactile things yeah. to watch. Yeah. 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 But, um, <laughs> but so, so it was, it was funny. It was actually, it was, it was pretty, pretty interesting to watch. I thought, I think that's funny. And, and, you know, I can, I can just suspend disbelief that, that, um, that was yeah, something an, an that you could do successfully. Can yeah. you imagine? You just, you know, <laughs> you, you're there at the nuclear power plant, and yeah. a, a, an it's... orthopedic surgeon from the local hospital <laughs> is coming to treat someone's leg, and you're like, I've, "Everyone has to leave. I need you to turn on the nuclear reactor." Read this booklet and turn on the nuclear reactor. A, yeah, you have a degree, <laughs> easy. Get on with it. <laughs> We'd all be dead. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah, because I mean, because it, it, it's it's so interesting to watch if you think of it in terms of of like like for me with the nuclear power because it, it's it's very it's very similar. You know, you have to get the the chain reaction going in the nuclear reactor, just like you have to get the warp field stabilized. You know, and, mm. and you have to you know you have to remove slowly remove the control rods so it's stable a reaction. You know, so like that's the dilithium crystals. <laughs> Right, okay. um, but, but you know what I mean. But it's it's like it, it's very similar in that it, in what you have to do, and it's, it's so it's that was always that's always interesting for me uh, to watch. But uh, but yeah, so you're, you're looking at this at a level I can't possibly grasp. <laughs> I, I, I the nuclear physics of it all. 
It's really interesting. And if Flox is a brilliant physician, and now we know he would have made a hell of an engineer. I think that's what Tri- Trip yeah. says at the to Paul. What did, yeah, to Paul said Trip. Um, uh, that Trip said uh, Flox did a hell of a job. <laughs> Bloody hell! All right, that's so good. Doctor, you, not an engineer. You've, you've picked. You've picked a quality doctor engineer <laughs> moment. So I suppose. I'm. I think for mine, I'm a doctor moment. It's more of a I'm a doctor ander. Because <laughs> oh, okay. At the very at the very beginning of the episode, he is trying to convince the doctor is trying to convince Janeway that he has a rudimentary grasp of ship's functions, and you know this is the early signs of the emergency command hologram. This is this is where yeah. the idea comes from. I imagine. Um, he 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 can control the ship. He can be in charge. It very much plays into his ego, I think, the idea that he should be in control of a starship. Oh, um, yeah. But she is not convinced that he can do this alone, and rightly so. <laughs> so she leaves Seven to assist him, as she's the only person who can manage to be in the nebula uh, without suffering the horrific burns. And Seven will report to him a hologram. And I thought that was a very, you know, some... I'm not sure. I'm not sure what you call it. She's obviously not quite keen on his his definite existence as a sign that he should be superior. He's essentially a piece of technology to her uh, at the yeah, moment. She's like report to a hologram. Exactly. <laughs> she was not happy. <laughs> um, and when the the moment I've chosen is when the computer announces that emergency procedures are in effect while the Doctor is in the middle of exerting his command authority over Seven, because she is being increasingly rude to hit, you know, she essentially won't give him an inch. He wants to make small talk, and, you know, this is part of the sort of the, the I wouldn't even call it a B-plot, but, you know, some of the scenes where they're discussing how to behave in polite society and how, you know, how nicely it is to speak to someone. She's the only person he can speak to, and he's the only person she can speak to. But she is just cutting him off at every point. There's no social niceties. There's no just, you know, being together speech where you just, you know, you, right. you, you talk to someone and you sort of acknowledge that here you are, here I am, we can talk and we can say things that aren't, we don't have to have, every conversation doesn't have to be a life or death matter. We can talk nicely to each other and it'd be social and pleasant and we can enjoy our time together. And he and has she, to order her to the holodeck. He's ordering her to the holodeck to, to learn small talk. That's what. <laughs> um, how, however, just before that happens, um, he is getting increasingly annoyed with her. But then an emergency appears, and he does take command. The mm-hmm. antimatter storage t- tanks are about are reported to be failing, and he just goes, "We've got to coordinate this effort. You go to engineering. I'll go to the bridge," and. He knows that she is best served to manage the engineering side of things. He goes up to the bridge and he reads off this litany of structural failures and disasters, as well as Ensign Kim could have. He does a good job there. Yeah. Um, and thankfully, this is a false alarm caused by the failure of some of the bioneural gel packs. But he he is he is being the ECH. He is he is talking to uh, Seven. This is beyond just her training and her like learning and developing and being a human this is about her being rude to him and needing to learn how it is to talk to somebody else and be a 
you know, be a, a good conversational partner um, and not just be rude and uh, and inconsiderate. Uh, but also, as soon as there is a problem, he is there in command. I make this decision. You do this. I'll do this. Let's go. And it doesn't work because there isn't really a problem. It's a false alarm caused by the, new, the gel packs. However, he takes that control. He behaves admirably, even when facing cybernetic oblivion. He does. He took care of business. You he know? does. And, <laughs> and he's he's obviously very stressed when his program yeah. starts to fail, and he's in the hol- He's relying on his uh, his mobile emitter. Obviously, yeah, like, he moving. is very worried. yeah. <laughs> And even then, Seven doesn't let up. He's panicking. Yeah. She's like, don't panic. Just a waste of resources. And I was like, give him a minute, you know. Right. He, might, he might be about to die. Let, <laughs> you don't have to grill him every time he says anything. Right, right. Um, but he runs back into the, at this point, he runs back into the, the sick bay. He's like, oh, home sweet sick bay. So that was a funny <laughs> moment. Um, and then he spends most of the rest of the episode in the sick bay uh, trying so to fix his trying to fix his hollow emitter and it does like isolate seven even more at that point but we've talked about all that um yeah. yeah so his moment the moment i picked was when he exercised command over seven and over the emergency situation so he's a doctor and a yeah he's a doctor and a, that's a good way to describe it he's always good in a pinch no matter yes. what the situation like that yeah he does a great job and uh, and I do I do love his um, his social programs for Seven. I can see why Seven might be annoyed at having to do that. Oh my gosh, that's so funny! I love I love how she tried to like do her work core or, or work field homework or whatever she was working on. I can't I remember. I thought what she was that was really on. funny. Yeah, she's there. <laughs> she enjoying... gets Neelix and yeah, Janeway you know, holograms. Yeah. You? yeah. <laughs> Then she gets Janeway over, and they're all very interesting. Yeah, I loved it when he oh, throws the so program, funny. and then Neelix and Janeway stop moving, and then he pulls Seven to the side. Presumably, <laughs> so we didn't watch to see whether Neelix and Janeway were still moving <laughs> once they. Oh, once they that's so funny! I like that bit. So good. All right, great pick. Okay, Let's get out the points. I think because I do. I think the same thing that you said about Seven and the Doctor I think applies here to the Doctor and the Doctor in that (laughs) what we're seeing is the EMH do what he always was going to do. This is absolutely him. Even if there hadn't been an emergency where he was in charge, he's trying to be the person in charge and trying to demonstrate his authority and demonstrate his command. He wants to improve Seven's state of being and improve things for her by helping her with her social skills. He wants to get outside of the the sick bay and you know be a commander. He wants to break his you know the holographic bondage he's in. He wants to do that. Whereas Flox has no desire to <laughs> an engineer. He does not want to activate the warp core, but he has to do it. Because there's literally no other choice. Right. And Outside so his comfort zone. <laughs> back, back into a corner. He does the one thing he has to do. And even though he's a physician and not an engineer, he uses the engines to good effect and saves the entire crew. So my point goes to Flox. Yeah, my point's going to have to go to Flox too because it was kind of a an engineering marvel that he pulled off. 
he did this. It was very impressive and outside his comfort zone. And yeah, it took a lot out of him. And I, you know, but that's not to say like, like the doc, the doctor and Voyager, man, like he's, you're right. This is the start of the emergency uh, command hologram. He, he can do it. He can do anything. He, he can he's, do it. Yeah. He's a great, crew member to have in, in any pretty much any situation um yeah so not, i don't want to take anything away from him he's awesome no, I, but, but point, I, point, I, to, point I, to point to about you know doing what you normally done that really resonated that's a good, yeah. a good point. okay so it All should right. come as a surprise to anyone <laughs> that we have died with these episodes <laughs> with five points each. i mean it had. I. I don't even want to do a tiebreaker. It kind of had to be a tie. It's literally the same episode. It's the same episode. I, I would say, as far as like rewatchability or the one that I quote unquote like the best, I. I, I like Doctor's Orders, um, a little bit more. I, I agree just, with you. I think Doctor's Orders yeah. has the edge on it. I think yeah. it does the the horror aspect. Yeah, really. yeah. It's a little bit more dynamic. I think. And I also I also think it just it does help that the NX01 uh, empty NX01 is a lot scarier than the empty Voyager to me. <laughs> yeah, it's certainly dark. I mean, the the yeah, the, yeah. the, the, the quote unquote twenty fourth century Federation ships—they're just light right. and airy, aren't they? They're, they're beautiful, right. very relaxing around. Yeah, but, you're alone on a cruise ship. I mean, yeah. that's fine. <laughs> Versus alone on a submarine. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot more creepy, definitely. Right. Right. Um, I think I did have a, a line I liked, and I thought if I'd gone for best line, maybe I'd have used this. The line when uh, Paris is about to get into the stasis chamber and he won't get in, and Kim gives him a bit of sass and says, Should we replicate you a teddy bear? Oh my um, gosh. That's I love so funny. Tom's weakness at the first sign of it, just as Tom would do to him. So he's learned from the master. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> I love that little side plot with Paris. <laughs> yeah. Because I am with him, man. That sounds terrifying. I am not. This. Stasis. I don't want to do that. Yeah. The stasis tube is the whole concept scary to begin with. But then just the fact that Tom Paris could basically sleepwalk out of it that makes it even is. more terrifying. <laughs> what is he going to sleepwalk? I mean, it should be. Like hadn't noticed he'd have just burned he just up. died he just burned yeah. to a crisp and died you know they gotta put an alarm on on his uh, stasis chamber here <laughs> <laughs> you know put a bell around his neck <laughs> oh. oh man i totally get it i was with with paris on that yeah but, not, um, a fan. not a fan yeah not a fan but I, okay. I wouldn't necessarily want you know the little thing on my forehead in enterprise and if at least you're like just sleeping in your own bed yeah, exactly. But, um... Just going to the stasis <laughs> chamber. Uh, I did yeah. wonder where they got 144 stasis chambers from. Uh, <laughs> they replicated them. Obviously. <laughs> Millions of them. Well, they, Who knows replicator rations? So. Went down to the shuttle factory and got a few, <laughs> got a few stasis pods. Well, if you think everybody maybe like throw their bed into the replicator, and that's probably about the same mass equivalent. Yes. True. Of a stasis chamber. And then when they're done with this, they put the stasis chambers back in and get beds out again. 
You've just put, you've got know. your mattress just right as well. You know, <laughs> like just that, it's just, just perfect. Oh, that's a good point. You could totally get the perfect mattress every time. You just have, have you know, the formula saved and plug it in, no matter that, where you are. That's true. It just, you oh. know, the, 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 the room knows you. Another benefit of living in the 21st century. <laughs> oh, I cannot wait. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Me either. Okay. All right. Well, that was now, great. Now we know which the best episode was. Uh, <laughs> that's Doctors one order. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Let's think about what we're doing next, next episode. Yeah. Good. Now that we've finished with the old business on to the new time to hand out next month's story assignments Ritterhouse we're waiting okay friends and neighbors let's see what Uncle Roy has for you today and on the next episode of Snaptrack we will be paying a visit to Talos 4 to have our memories rearranged as we compare original series pilot The Cage with Discoveries If Memory Serves Love it. That was good. <laughs> I'm looking forward to this episode. Oh, me too. Okay. All right. Let's just do our goodbyes. Yeah. So thank you all for listening. Uh, we really hope you've enjoyed this episode of SnapTrack. Do get in touch with us at SnapTrack on Twitter and send us your ideas for comparisons or your Star Trek poetry. Um, and great. Anything else you'd like to say? Anything before you sign off, Jen? Nope. Yep. Just that. Thanks. Thanks everyone for listening. We appreciate it. And uh, can't wait to talk Trek with you guys on Twitter. <laughs> Let us know. <laughs> All right. Have a good one, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye. And that's just the Royal Fizbin. Lieutenants Paris and Taurus. Ensign Kim. Seven. I'm surprised to see you here. May I join you? Sure. Have a seat. Have some soup, it's actually edible. I don't require nourishment at this time. I felt the need for companionship. Well, after a month with only the doc for company, I can understand it. Yeah, um, what was that like anyway, just the two of you? The doctor was very helpful. I cannot fault him. Well, we owe you one. Yeah, just think, we could have died in those coffins. I suspect you would have found a way out before that, Lieutenant. What do you mean? Lieutenant Paris refused to stay confined. On four separate occasions, the doctor and I had to put him back into his stasis unit. Were you, um, locked in dark closets or something as a child? <laughs> I just don't like closed places. I never have. I, I don't know why. Perhaps you dislike being alone. <laughs>